we are prone to believe in magical incantation. Just as humans. Now, of course, this is all through any science fiction fantasy movie you've ever watched. You've seen some magical incantation that opens a door or whatever. You know, watch Lord of the Rings or something, something like that. A few hundred years ago, um, a, a, a French translator uh, brought uh, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves into, into French and open sesame became a part of the the, the vernacular, at least there, and, and some here, I suppose it's not quite as, as common, but, but you, there's all of those kind of things with popular movies, abracadabra, and, you know, those kind of phrases, and, and some silly ones, you know, like Mary Poppins has a number of those magical words and magical phrases that just do things. Of course, I, we all grew up that the magic word was please. Uh, I didn't think that was that magical. Didn't sound magical. Uh, very recently, if this uh, will, here we go. Very recently, uh, in um, Serbia, they discovered some scrolls that were with with dead bodies, corpses, whatever, uh, in burials, and and, and there were different ones, at different ages. Uh, some were foil, some were paper, and and they started translating the, the 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 strange thing that they found was first of all they weren't written in any type of language that was really a part of you know Serbian culture they were in Aramaic. I was like that was odd. And, and they they go back around to the time of Christ a little bit after some of them you know around 400 AD but but they were from they the, they have references to Syrian uh, to Syrian influences. I was like what. Well, Syria and Serbia are nowhere near each other. They're like a thousand miles or more away from each other. And so this is, gets curious. And, and so some of them even show uh, uh, Christian influences. And they were, what they are is these are spells. Spells about your enemies. Uh, there's one one kind of looks uh, gruesome there. I, I don't know what's going on there, but it looks like someone's stabbing somebody else. And so so it's some, kind of, some of them were like curses on your enemies and... And there's all sorts of things that, some to protect you from your enemies and all sorts of curses. But, but some of them showed like references that were Christian references. Like in, in some of these magic phrases. Showing that, that people are, uh, Christians are not immune to this, what we would consider paganism. In fact... Uh, in 363, there was a council in, the, in a city we know of, of Laodicea. And one of the, they, they were all about, you know, various heathen things uh, that they wanted to get rid of. Um, interestingly enough, for about a thousand years, we couldn't sing in church together. The, the only, there was a special, uh, it's kind of crazy, uh, only worship bands were allowed. Uh, and, and only, they were, you know, obviously they were uh, just vocal singers. Uh, and, and people in the congregation didn't, I guess they deemed that we weren't good enough to sing together. So, so from like, from this council up to like 1400, until Martin Luther started writing about it, like you and I couldn't go to church and sing. We just had to watch the singers. So, so praise band's not, but, but this was, uh, this was an interesting quote that one of the many quotes from this council, they said, those who are of the priesthood of the clergy shall not be magicians, enchanters, 
and mathematicians or astrologers. Now, now I stop there and I say, well, one of these is not like the other. My Sesame Street comes out and says, one of these is not like the other. Um, they shall not make what are called amulets, which are chains for their own souls. And, and those who wear such, we command to be cast out of the church. Well, uh, Augustine, uh, a little bit later than this, uh, writes this. He says, a good Christian should beware of mathematicians. My kids are like, yes. <laughs> Where has this been? The danger already exists that mathematicians have made a covenant with the devil. They're like, we agree. <laughs> to darken the spirit and confine man to the bonds of hell. Ah, where was this when I was a kid? Right. Well, why well, pick on harmless mathematicians? Well, I hate to inform you that he was not referring to your algebra teacher, which in this case is me. But uh, let's go back to magic. It comes from Persia, which we get the word magi from, hence magic. In the religion of Zoroastrianism and its roots, they date back to approximately <clears throat> the, excuse me, man. <clears throat> around the time of, of Daniel and, and, and this influx of, of the Hebrew faith into the, the Persian culture. And there's this trade-off that happens. The, the Hebrew people come back with some ideas. And, and the Persians, some of the, some of the Judaism rubs off. So, so Zoroastrianism goes from becoming a polytheistic religion to a monotheistic religion, which is interesting, right around this time. And, uh, but one of the things about Zoroastrianism is that it's big into astrology and numbers, magic numbers. Numbers mean things. And you'll hear that. You'll hear, you'll hear religious people talk about the number seven and the, and the, the wonderful uh, uh, power of the number three or the number 40 because there's you know, references to, and, and, and throughout number 12 because there's 12 apostles. And they find these connections. And, and so, so this, this was brought back. This, and, and so they came back and there's a, there's a name for it. Uh, the Jews who either... Uh, stayed abroad specifically, but, but some who came back had this idea, who were influenced, it was an ideology called Kabbalah. This special, magical knowledge. It really, it really was dominant in Alexandria, which was this, this Greek center, but where, was, where a fourth or a third of the, the city was Jewish. So they have all these Coptic ideas and this mixing around with the with the the African Jewish religion and ends up influencing Christianity. And this is why some of those symbols are, are, are now in, in Christianity as people go, oh, this was interesting, and they bring that from Judaism as they're being converted as Jews to Christ. And, and, and so that's why we're seeing some of those things, you know, the archaeology in Serbia. And I, we're going to try to get interesting here. But over in the eastern part, over by Persia, in those areas, the church starts getting really popular as, as Rome starts to decline. It's in this period where Rome is declining as an empire. And what's happening is that the church in Turkey and in, in, in Asia Minor and over there, the church is getting strong. 
The rivals, this is where Constantine is from. I mean, uh, Istanbul is renamed Constantinople, right? And, uh, or excuse me, the other way around. So, so this is the area, it was Byzantium, excuse me, that was renamed uh, Constantinople, and it becomes, it becomes Istanbul, Turkey. So, so this is that part of the country where this is already there, a lot of this magic stuff. And a man there who becomes one of the, they call him one of the, the first doctors of the church, the, the theological men, wrote between 2,000 and 6,000 books, really valuable books, but by a man by the name of Origen. He was big into this, really big, and he was influential. And it is this influence that is called mathematics. That's the influence that they were worried about, about uh, a focus on finding special meanings in these numbers. We're talking about weapons, and, and, and it's important that we, we, we want to know and, and connect this. So we're going to be talking about names as weapons today. Special words and, and things that, that people have always looked for as these, what we call a talisman. Well, let's look at the biblical record for just a second and see if, if this is okay or not okay. Uh, um, and, and look kind of at the history of incantation, if we could. Well, we know the story. We're just going to quote one little bit of it. I don't think there's anything wrong in 1 Samuel 17, 45. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. And, and so he recognizes the power, the source of what he's, you know, it is, so there's this, I'm coming to you in the name of it. And you, you can just kind of feel this, almost a magical feel to, to well, this is a special name. And I'm, because I'm quoting this, this name of God, I'm going to have success. And he does have success. So, so who's going to argue that, that, that this is an incantation? If, you know, we've seen times in the Old Testament where, where people made assumptions that God was going to do something. And God says, yeah, I'm not with you there. Oh, I know. If we go take the Ark of the Covenant out into battle, we'll win. And they, get, they got thoroughly whipped and got the thing taken away. God says, uh, that was your conclusion. But here he gives David success. We're going to end up coming back around and circling around and see why and what this actually means when he says, I've come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Well, it didn't always work out so well. That's a really attractive guy. Um, <clears throat> we know this story, too, so we're just going to excerpt it a little bit. The scribes came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them, all right. In a story, in a parable, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. So first, he, he's going to show them that it's not logical. You're not logical. Here, just follow with me, he's saying. But beyond the illogical nature of this... Well, let's, let's pause for just a second, because what happens is when people don't have a good argument, they'll, they'll resort to anything. If, if I'm just bound to determine not to agree with you on something, and I don't really have a good reason to, I'll come up with a really strange one. Just so long as I cannot agree with you at the end of the day. I, just, I don't want to go there. And they were not interested in coming to consensus with Christ. 
And, and so part of, a part of their illogical uh, argumentation is simply they were never going to agree with Christ. But that is not exclusively where this argument comes from. It's got some history to it. Uh, Beelzebub was a god, lower god, worshipped um, in, uh, in the region of Galilee, amongst others. He's a little bit more ancient than that. He was a Philistine deity. He goes back before, before Jews were there. He's really, really an ancient. He was a chaser of flies. You've got to have a god for everything, right? You, you, just, you, gotta, you, you have a need. And back then, if you're superstitious, you look for a god to, to, to help you out. And so, and this doesn't originate with the Philistines, by the way. Uh, it goes, um, or, or maybe it's simultaneous and sharing, like we talk about with Zoroastrianism. Maybe, maybe some different people shared this. But <clears throat> and this actually goes, uh, well, here's a, here's a reference to it. It goes back to Second Kings. He says, Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria, and he was sick. So he sent messengers and said, go inquire of Baal-Zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from the sickness. And of course, uh, I think as Elijah comes to him and says, uh, no, you're not, because you, you resorted with the wrong god. Uh, he, was not, he doesn't have any special magical knowledge. He's not going he's, he's to chase away your sicknesses. He's not, he's, he, he, that's not a real thing. But it is, so, so it's historical. Uh, the, the actual... Uh, I'm not sure if it's, it's the actual thing. You know, let, let's, uh, but there is a connection actually in Grecian um, mythology as well. And I want to go back to a different accounting of the story. Because Jesus is talking about his superiority here. He says, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, or Beelzebul, it's the same name, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he's, he's showing his superiority here. But he wants them to know, listen, and this is an interesting reference because he's saying, so if, if I'm casting out demons by a demon, but I'm obviously having success, there's an implication here that, that they were trying it, but they weren't doing it. So if, if I'm really low, I'm picking the bottom of the barrel for ancient gods, you know, and, and I'm having success. Well, what in the world are you guys on? Well, what is, what is the God that you're doing? Because he's not doing so much. So I'm still better than you, even if I was doing that. But again, go back to the logical point. It's, it's not making sense. Your, your entire argument is not making sense. But as I pointed out, there is a Greek connection here. There's a, I looked for pictures. He's such an obscure thing uh, that it really never caught on in Grecian culture. But he was called a Zeus Miagros. In other words, he was a servant of Zeus. This, this low, 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 low god. Some called him Myakoros. And um, he would get rid of fly pestilences for Zeus. Like, it was apparently he took care of Zeus's light work. Like, Zeus has got other things to do than go around chasing flies. So he had this, this little guy over here. And so, uh, so the way they described it is you would, you would appeal to Myakoros, and if Myakoros or Myagoras, if he said, okay, this is a good cause, then he would chase your flies away. Uh, this, 
And, and so, again, this magical incantation of this, this special name, this holy word, that was supposed to do things for people. And this is what Jesus is still dealing with people that do this, or, or assume this in him. Now, let's, let's uh, look a little bit here uh, further. As, as he's pointing out their logic, he's pointing out their hypocrisy as well. And so, I want to turn, um, or, or talk about the misuse of Christ. Because we, we talked about using God's name. And we've even talked about using God's name in vain. I want to talk about the weakness of name dropping. You ever drop a name? I know so-and-so. Right? Or Doesn't that annoy you when people do that in a story? I'm going to name drop. I want to turn to uh, Acts 19. We're going to read a fuller section, but we're going to kind of look at one particular part. But I want to get the, the whole story. Acts chapter 19. Paul is in, in Ephesus here. So Paul was at Corinth, and Paul took the road through the interior, arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. He asked them, did you receive... Uh, wait a second. Um, oh, I want to deep down further. I'm sorry. Um, let me skip some of the story. Verse 8 says, Paul entered the synagogues and was speaking boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly uh, insulted the way. So Paul left them. He took some disciples with them, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years, so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God, the Lord. And God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons that touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. And the Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, In the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Well, seven sons of Seba, the Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day, an evil spirit said to them, You know, I know Jesus. Um, I also know about Paul. Uh, who are you? And the man about who had the evil spirit then jumped on them, overpowered all of them, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That rhymed. I don't know if Paul meant to do that. Name dropping didn't work. Now, now this is something... They were such name droppers that they weren't just going to drop Jesus' name. Just for good measure, they threw in Paul's. Like, Okay, we want to make sure that we're going to do this right. He seems to be having some success. He's talking about God, so we're just going to mention both of them. We should be coming out. And, and name dropping doesn't do anything magical. There's nothing magic in the name. So when we start talking about the name of God or the name of Christ, God has never intended that to be a magical incantation. 
ever. Well, we never do that. Fortunately, this is just something that happened in the Bible, and no one's ever done it ever since. And that's my... Uh, I said that in sarcasm font, so... If you ask anything in my name, and how many times have we ever heard that phrase in, in religious culture? If you ask anything in my name, it's such a thing... If I were to close, some, some preachers close their own sermons with prayers. If I was to do that and say, help us do this, thank you, da-da-da-da, amen. I would, get, I would get a few of these. Was that okay to end the prayer that way? Where was the magical in Jesus' name, amen? doesn't even have spaces between the words. It's just... It, was that Okay. Was it okay to pray like that? He, he didn't conclude it with the magical phrase. Despite the fact that we actually have a prayer that's a model prayer. It's not a verbatim that we're supposed to do. But there is a model prayer. And Jesus didn't conclude it with the magical phrase. Why and how did this become a magical phrase? Because we look at this idea of in the name of, and that means say the name of. I want to explore that just, just a touch. Because not a single Christian, I'm not saying there's tons of them in the, in the Bible, but, but none of them show this magical phrase. <clears throat> what in the world is that? Let me, this is a plane owned by someone. I want to read a quote from that person. There is a force so vast in its power that it triumphs over any problem, any trial, any situation. Demons flee from it. Disease cannot remain in the face of it. Lack and fear will dissipate before it. And every darkness is instantly shattered by it. Even death itself cannot contend with it. So what is it? It is the name above all names, the name of Jesus uh, author of that statement is, is Kenneth Copeland. He is what you refer to as a health and wealth uh, preacher, primarily because he is, I don't know about healthy, but he's extremely wealthy. So he's a big proponent of that theology. This is his plane. And, and, and among other things, protection and, and all sorts of wonderful benefits are found in the name of Jesus. And I, I do want to point out that the man who believes in protection at the name of Jesus does have a fairly significant barbed wire fence around his plane. Just saying. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe the name of Jesus doesn't quite protect everything. Maybe it doesn't protect Lear jets or something. I don't know. But everything else it protects. But this idea has been used to, to promise recovery from cancer, successful investments, <coughs> to even eliminate the concept of temptation from your life. If, if you just invoke the name of Christ, I mean, it all goes away. 
And I look in the Bible and I'm saying, you know, where is this? Because I don't see that. In fact, I see the Apostle Paul, who invokes the name of Christ a lot, still say, you know, I still sin. And, and I have, we just went through class this morning in, in, in 2 Corinthians, talking about this long list of really bad stuff that happened to Paul as an apostle. So invoking the name of Christ or God was not a magic answer. It was not a, a talisman. But there is a power in his name, and I want to talk about that. <clears throat> One of the things I learned in math and in grammar, you want to figure out something, you want to isolate whether something's correct, or, you can do that a lot of times by substitution. Right? You, you put something in, your, in its place, and if the answer still works out, then you know the two things are equal. Okay, so let's do that and see if, if, if we can come up with, if, if that idea of the name of God obviously comes to contradict other things in the scriptures that we know, then let's see if we can come up with a better understanding for the concept of the name of God. Maybe our understanding is not correct. I believe if you went through the New Testament, or the Old Testament for that matter, and, and you look at where God is mentioned, the name of God, or the name of the Lord, that it's not referencing the proper noun. And I'm not saying that you can't say in Christ's name, amen, or in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of the prayer. I'm not saying that. Just understand that it's not a magic thing that gives you what you want. If you substitute the word authority, we're not going to do this for every one of the hundreds of times that the name of the Lord or the God's name. I just want to pick off a couple and, and, and illustrate what I think is a better understanding of this concept. And even to go back and look at David. You know, look at David. To, to understand, I'm not saying that I come to you in the name of the Lord, like I'm going to say the name of the Lord and you're going to die. But, but to say, I come to you you come to me on the basis of sticks and, and all these other things that you've got, spears and javelins and, and all these things. That's your authority. Your authority is weaponry. I'm coming to you under the authority of God, and that's why I'm going to win. Like, oh, wait a second. That, that sounds like it means something. That, that sounds significant to me. But, but here's another one. Uh, in Matthew 28, 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of nations, excuse me, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean to us? Magical incantation. We lift up this. We go in here, and we have to say the magical phrase. <coughs> I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's good. And if you didn't do that, we'd be looking, was that a good baptism? Was it, do we need to do it again? You know, like, did God accept that? Is this guy going to go to hell because the preacher didn't say the magical incantation? Now, while we're here, let me ask you a question. Because he says, do this in the name of... Okay. I know the name of the Son. What's the name of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. I'm going to tell you. If he tells me to do something, I should be able to do it. What is the name of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is not the name of the Holy Spirit. Right? Like if I ask, what's the name of your dad? Well, it's not that. 
certificate. What is the name of your dad? He's got a name, right? You're the only one in here that has a name and a title that's the same as Guy. He's a guy. And his name is Guy. That's the only one. Doesn't work for anybody else. When we were first here, by the one of our little, I forget which one it was, called him Man McNutt. Anyway, that's it. He's like, Guy, man, it's all the same. It's a title, it's a name. What is the name of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. So, so this is not talking about a magical incantation. Substitute. When you baptize, you baptize under the authority of. In other words, there were lots of people baptizing, but they were baptizing on behalf of, hey, you're my disciple. I, I, I was baptized, uh, I was under this teacher, or this rabbi. That was already being practiced. I, I'm Gamaliel's. So, so I'm going to, I was baptized in Gamaliel's name. Or Gamaliel's, you know, student body. And he says, no. Remember, remember the, the one group? In fact, we started to read it right there in Acts 19. It was like, oh, they were only familiar with John's baptism. Well, they were baptized in the name of John. Which was fine for the time it was. But it didn't have Christ's authority. No, you've got to, that's not valid. In fact, in Acts 19, it says you've got to be baptized again because... It, not because you used the wrong name, not because you used the wrong magical incantation, because you didn't understand the authority of the one whom is the author of our salvation. It's not about a, about a magical incantation, a talisman. It's about whose authority we're under. There's another one. Uh, John is, or Jesus is praying. He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. And I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture would be fulfilled. What does that even mean? If I think of this as a proper noun that belongs to an individual... This makes no sense. Keep them in your name. How do you do that? I don't know. Keep them in your name. It's just a magical phrase. And, and, and people blow right through any kind of concept. It just kind of means freely say the name of God. Like, I don't know what that means. I can't apply this. Here's an here's a, a imperative here's a, here's a thing that we're supposed to be doing that I cannot explain to you how to do. Unless I substitute and go, keep them in your authority. Oh, now that means something to me. To stay under the authority of God that, that Christ had given them as apostles. That they were going to have jobs and functions that, uh, that belonged to the church or them as, as being apostles in the church. It was that authority that they had. And he wanted them to remember whose authority that was. That's the concept that the name has. And that's where its power derives because we're under God and we're under Christ. <clears throat> there is power in his name. I, I don't want to diminish that. I just want to place it into context. And so I do, as we talk about taking a name in vain using it incorrectly, I want to talk about the proper usage. 
Uh, it's, it's wonderful to talk about and correct the, the record. But we need to leave with what that means in terms of the life I will live. I, I've discussed what it doesn't mean. What does it mean that there's power in his name, that there's effectiveness? Oh, John fifteen sixteen says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And this is what he, would, he had been talking about and praying about in John 17, about how, how God had given them these disciples. I chose you. I appointed that you, that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. The whole verse is one context. We, we can't just say, oh, whatever you ask in my name. Okay, that means say the name. And you get what you want. There's a whole there's a whole concept that surrounds this, this idea of, of the name. And it has to do with bearing fruit. In other words, you're going to have your requests if they are spiritual. You can be guaranteed. Why? Because they're in my name. They're under my authority. Those are the things you're trying to make God happy and me happy those are the things you want to be asking for. You asked for Porsches and Maseratis. May not happen. You're asking for spiritual things. We're going to get spiritual things. Are we concerned about the kingdom? And bearing fruit. Then you'll get what you want. Those are the types of things that, that God is interested in answering. So spiritual requests, as I said, it all comes down to spirituality. And that's where our weapons are. <clears throat> Very similarly, John chapter 14, verse 12 to 14 says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, but greater works than these he will do. Because I'm going to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I'll do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so spirituality also has the concept of the glorification of God's name. This is a connection to how people perceive the word and the proper noun. How will people perceive the, the proper noun when Christ is referenced? Or when God is referenced in conversation? Because of our lifestyles, because of the things I've said. Will they go, oh yeah, you talk a good game. But the lifestyle doesn't match it. Jesus it goes back to the fruit. What am I producing? Do I show that I'm living under the authority of Christ and of God. If you ask me the things that promote this, 
Of course I'm going to let you do it. Of course I'm going to help you. It may not be easy. But I'm going to make a way for you to be able to accomplish this. Whatever you ask in my name. Ask for big things. We've talked about that before. If it's surrounding, if it's surrounding you accomplishing something, watch out because you'll get what you ask for. Wow, I didn't know that. God could do that. That's that happened way sooner than I thought possible. What things were they going to do? Things that accomplished Christ's mission. He says, you're going to do better things than me. How can I do something better than you? I mean, you redeemed the entire human race, past, present, and future. Can't really top that one. You conquered death. Okay, yeah. We're going to stay away from that area because that's, you can't touch that one. But here's what you're going to do that I've never done. I've never written a book of the Bible. Jesus never wrote a book of the Bible. You're going to. No, I'm not going to, but he was talking to them. Jesus never started a, a, a congregation. No, he died for the origin, and, and his blood is the cornerstone of the church. But he never, ever once ordained elders. Apostles, but never elders. He never, he never organized a, a, a congregation. He never left Palestine. He's like, you guys are going to travel the world. I've never done that. You think of all the things that... that <clears throat> that happened that Jesus never physically, personally did. They, yes, they come under his authority. He's like, you're in my name. You're doing this in my name. You're doing this in my authority. People are going to recognize my proper noun name because you're in my authority and you're going to do so many amazing things because I'm going to answer your prayers because you're trying to do the things that glorify God, the things that make him happy. You're going to preach to Gentiles. Jesus never did that. The list goes on. There are things that we can do that Jesus never did. It wasn't his mission. What in the world? Okay. I have no idea what happened here. Eraser. Work the principles. Work the principles. Because um, they work. You ever heard that phrase? Work the program because the program works. We've set it up. We've done this for years. Don't get creative. Right? It's kind of the idea. God has set up principles that work. I'm just going to move past that. It's a little distracting. Jesus' name is part of a formula. That is true, but not a magical one. Not a, not a holy talisman one. Formulas, most of your formulas, as mathematicians will, will tell you, are inconvenient, and, and that's why we don't like math formulas. And we work them, and we're like, I got the wrong answer. It's difficult. Why did you get, go check your work? You didn't do your work, you guessed, right? All of the list of things that people go through and, and have to figure out why we got the wrong answer is because something wasn't done the right way in the formula. 
formula works. Christ's name is a part of that formula. Christ's authority is a part of that formula. And so, time, so many times people will, will just get into the, the, the religious mode of, uh, of this is what we do, it's church, it's religious, and, and, and we get into the thing and we forget that we are a part of Christ's authority. And sometimes we forget that it's not about glorifying us or, or making sure that the, the church building and the people here have a good reputation but it's about making sure that Christ has the correct reputation in the world. And, and we can get off on the things that authority is about and about the name and what it's about. It's, it's not about the church of Christ. It's not about in Jesus' name, amen. Those things, are, those things are not what this is about. It's about at the end of the day that the people who I will leave here and be around Will they know that I live under Christ's authority? What will they see that, that compels them to affirm that or go, really? I wouldn't know that. Maybe it's, maybe it's not that I'm like this horrible human being, but maybe I just never mention it. I'm a good person. Okay, have, you, have I done anything that directly would be a principle that ties me to a spiritual thing that directly glorifies God. These are all principles. The name is not going to remove from me the need to act and do. It's not a magic formula. I'm going to have to work. But what it should do, and here is where I guess if it has a magic thing, is that it should keep me grounded. The, 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 the repetition of Christ's name, the, the understanding of, the, of Christ's name should bring me to a, a remembrance. We talk about that on Sundays a lot, remembrance. It should bring to me a remembrance of what it means to be grounded in things that are productive for God's kingdom.